Hey, Crime Salad listeners, welcome back to another episode of Crime Salad, where we talk true crime. My name's Ashley. And I'm Ricky. So just a quick content warning, there is adult content in verbiage throughout this episode. Listener discretion is advised. Also, we would like to welcome a few who joined the Crime Sound Patreon family. Enjoy the ad-free episodes, and starting this month, we will be posting a bonus episode every month. If you have any questions about how Patreon works, you can either Google it or ask Ricky. Send us a message. He's our tech support, as well as my partner in crime. All right. So this week, we have Aaron, Lexi, and Rebecca. Hello and welcome. Thank you guys so much for your support. Well, let's get into it. On December 19th, 2013, Terry Elvis got a knock at the door. It was late at night, and he was surprised to see a patrolman on his doorstep. The patrolman, Officer Canterbury, asked Terry if he was missing a car. He told the officers that all of his cars were in his driveway. And then the officer was a little more specific, asking him if he was missing a green Dodge Intrepid. Terry told the officer that the Dodge Intrepid was his daughter's car. He last heard from his daughter, Heather, two days prior on the 17th. She had gone out on a date that night with an old acquaintance from high school and had stopped by first to visit with her parents. That acquaintance was Steve Schiraldi. Although they went to the same school, the two had been in different grades and didn't know each other very well. But when Stephen landed in her DMs, Heather was ready to go out again after suffering a heartbreak a few months earlier. Stephen Chiraldi took Heather to dinner that night at a local Mexican restaurant. The two drove around looking at Christmas lights when Heather admitted her desire to learn how to drive a stick shift. So Stephen took her to an empty parking lot where he taught her to drive his manual transmission truck. Years earlier, Heather's father had tried to teach her in his own car, and it ended in many tears. Heather was so proud of her new accomplishment, she had Stephen take a photo of her driving and immediately sent it to her father. She told him, I learned how to drive a stick shift. Terry Elvis told Officer Canterbury that the photo and the accompanying text was the last time he had communicated with his daughter, and he was beginning to worry that someone may have stolen her car. Since he had an extra set of keys, the two drove down to the dark and desolate road that led to Peachtree Landing, a boat off-ramp leading to a swampy waterway. Once they arrived, the first thing that Terry noticed was Heather's car wasn't parked straight and it was actually taking up three parking spaces. The car was locked and it appeared to be abandoned. Neither Heather nor her phone or wallet were anywhere nearby. Even more eerie was that Heather wasn't answering her phone. His calls were all going directly to voicemail, which is also very unlike Heather. She was always glued to her phone, and it was always fully charged. Terry really began to worry when Officer Canterbury suggested opening Heather's trunk. That is when the fear first began to set in for Terry. He was terrified of what he might find, and rightfully so. Can you even imagine opening the trunk of your child's car and worrying you might find their body? To his relief, the trunk only contained Heather's unusual state of messiness, but not a body. 
it still didn't explain where Heather might be. Not realizing there was anything nefarious going on, Officer Canterbury gave Terry a set of rubber gloves and allowed him to drive Heather's car back to his house. By the next day, when Heather didn't show up for work, Terry knew his daughter was somewhere in trouble. That is when he filed a missing persons report for Heather with the Horry County Police Department. And to the credit of the police department, they immediately took Heather's disappearance seriously. In all likelihood, they knew within days they would be looking for a body. Now, because Heather was still on Terry and Debbie's phone plan, they had immediate access to all of her phone records and call log. This was a huge time saver for investigators because this meant that they could look at her call log and retrace her last steps without waiting on a subpoena. The first thing that they learned from the phone records was that Heather received a phone call from a payphone in the early morning hours of December 18th at 1.33 a.m. Over the next hour, Heather made several phone calls back to that same payphone, which were never answered. Then Heather briefly spoke with her roommate, Brianna, who was out of town for the holidays with her family in New Jersey. Now, Heather made four more phone calls to her former coworker, Sydney Moore, and we'll talk more on him later in this episode. Sydney answered only one of those calls at 3.17 a.m., and they spoke for over four minutes. Heather continued making phone calls to Sydney's cell phone until 3.41 a.m., and that is when Heather Elvis's phone went dead, and she was never heard from again. At the time of Heather's disappearance, she was working two jobs. One as a hostess at a restaurant called The Tilted Kilt, and the second as a hostess at the House of Blues. The Tilted Kilt was similar to a Hooters-type restaurant, but with a Scottish twist. The uniforms were extremely short, hardened plaid skirts, with a bra top layered with scraps of white material that closely resembled a long sleeve bra. It was definitely designed with the male customer in mind. The Tilted Kilt hired young and beautiful girls like Heather to showcase the minimal outfits. Heather wasn't old enough to pour or serve alcohol yet, and that's why she was working as a hostess. But this place was just a means to an end for Heather. It was just a job to pay her bills while she went to cosmetology school to pursue her ultimate dream of becoming a makeup artist. In fact, the day before she disappeared, Heather had been hired to work in an upscale salon. She was thrilled and already told all of her family and friends about the job. Heather also was a talented photographer who loved to use her creativity by styling her family and friends and taking photos of them for her portfolio. Ultimately, she had a dream of working in New York, Atlanta, or LA someday as a makeup artist in movies or television. She had all of the drive and talent to get herself there too. It quickly became clear to authorities that Heather had no reason to walk away from her life. 
When police interviewed Heather's boss, Jessica Cook, she knew exactly who they needed to talk to, Sidney Moore. Jessica explained that Sidney was the maintenance man who worked after hours, doing repairs on the large industrial kitchen equipment. Jessica told investigators that it was in June of 2013 when Heather first took notice of the good-looking, blue-eyed, brown-haired maintenance man. And to be fair, he looked younger than his actual age of 38. While the age difference alone could be considered predatory, it was also the fact that Sidney was married, which made the relationship highly inappropriate. After meeting Sidney, Heather became immediately enamored by him, as evidenced by her Twitter page. In June, Heather tweeted, I have a taste for men who are older. And there were more inappropriate tweets that we won't bring attention to only because they highlight Heather's immaturity as she navigated from a sheltered teen to an independent adult. In another tweet, she said, Baby did a bad, bad thing. And before we go on, we're going to ask that you give Heather some grace. This has been a highly controversial case, with social media posts and blogs dedicated to victim blaming. We won't be engaging in or condoning any of that behavior. Obviously, some of these tweets show immaturity and poor judgment, and that's why they say that youth is wasted on the young. But these were her mistakes to make. Heather grew up in a deeply religious household where she felt stifled and unable to express herself. She loved her family, but she couldn't follow their rules, so she found herself homeless at 18 years old. That's young to be pushed out of a very sheltered nest. At first, she couch-surfed with friends, briefly lived with an abusive boyfriend, and at the time of her disappearance, was finally living in an apartment with her best friend and co-worker. Heather was figuring it out, but while figuring it out, she was also making some bad decisions, the worst of which was her attraction to Sydney Moore. And trust me when I say, Sydney was no prize. But for whatever reason, many of which include a lack of life experience, Heather saw Sidney differently. And because he seemed to reciprocate her feelings, Heather thought she truly meant something to him. You'll find out later in this episode that they meant exactly nothing. Sidney was almost 40 years old and should have known better. Heather was barely 20 and about to learn a very big life lesson. One that shouldn't have cost her her life. Now, let's circle back to her Twitter account because they foreshadow the tragedy that was to come. In one of Heather's tweets, she said, I'm in way too deep, but watch me get in deeper. While the cryptic tweets are extremely embarrassing, they are about on par for a young girl growing into herself. However, Sydney was a full-grown man with a wife and three children. He cannot blame any of his behavior on the life lessons that come with youth. On July 10th, Heather tweeted, 
I work at House of Blues tonight, but I'll be there to get food later. Also, Sydney will be there tonight, so you know I gotta make an appearance. After that tweet, Heather and Sydney had sex for the first time on the back patio of the Tilted Kilt. But this relationship was far from one-sided. Sydney was clearly smitten and began showing up during the daytime when the restaurant was open, bringing Heather bagels and her favorite drinks from Starbucks. Some of her coworkers didn't understand why the after-hours maintenance man was suddenly always at the hostess desk when Heather was working, and they figured out quickly this was more than a friendship. They also knew Sydney was married, and several of them expressed their disapproval for the relationship openly and with hostile comments. One day, Heather's manager allowed her to charge her phone upstairs in the office. And while it was charging, there were messages coming in one after another. The manager, Jessica Cook, became concerned that there might be an emergency and looked at Heather's phone. After looking at the messages coming through, Jessica figured out that Sydney and Heather were engaged in a secret affair and they were having sex everywhere. And by everywhere, this included the restaurant, in cars, and in nearby parking lots. Jessica was immediately concerned for Heather and thought of her as more than just an employee. In fact, when Heather experienced bouts of homelessness, Jessica allowed Heather to stay on her couch and tried to mentor her. Jessica knew the age difference was significant, and she knew that Heather tended to jump into things prematurely with her whole heart. She immediately began worrying for Heather. Brianna, Heather's coworker and roommate at the time, was also concerned for Heather. She thought the relationship with Sydney was a bad idea that would end in a broken heart for her friend. Nevertheless, Heather jumped headfirst and on July 28th, she changed her Facebook status to in a relationship. And when people asked who she was in a relationship with, she said it was a long story and she couldn't say for now. To make matters worse, Heather was ruffling feathers at work with her constant chatter about Sydney. One day, Brianna and Heather came into the break room at the Tilted Kilt and there was a message written across the employee chalkboard in the break room. And it said, hey ladies, please stop fucking the maintenance man, he's married. This wasn't well received by the intended recipient. However, some of Heather's coworkers were really outraged and incensed by Heather's behavior and they let their feelings be known by way of several pranks. One of which was them calling Heather at work and pretending to be Sydney's quote, crazy wife, end quote, and warning her away from quote, her man. While pretending to be Tammy Moore, they threatened Heather and told her if she didn't stop screwing around with her husband, she would regret it. Heather was absolutely terrified and was so upset by the prank she couldn't finish her shift that night. Now, eventually, the wife of Sydney, 42-year-old Tammy Moore, did find out about the affair and was equally outraged. We're not sure if she caught Sydney the old-fashioned way by going through his phone or if she was tipped off by the waitstaff at the Tilted Kilt. But what we do know is Tammy absolutely acted in ways that were terrifying and horrifying, which is the totally reasonable response when you are the aggrieved and unknowing spouse. No one deserves to be cheated on. However, instead of blaming her lying and cheating husband, Tammy exhibited extreme displaced anger. 
Eventually, Tammy decided that Sydney was an innocent victim of a sick young girl who set out to ruin her marriage. But it wasn't Heather who took vows and swore to always be faithful to Tammy. That was her husband, who definitely broke those vows. Tammy's hypocrisy was only highlighted when she later told police that she and Sydney had an open marriage. In fact, Tammy had a boyfriend who we will discuss later in part two of this case. According to Tammy, she was allowed to cheat with impunity, while Sydney couldn't cheat without her express permission. Because his affair with Heather was secret, Tammy considered it unforgivable betrayal. But it was only Heather she couldn't forgive. If Heather thought the prank phone call from her coworkers pretending to be Tammy was bad, she soon found out the real one was so much worse. Tammy called Heather at work and demanded that they meet in person. She wanted to look Heather in the eye while she answered all of Tammy's questions. Her main purpose was to reconcile Heather's version of the relationship with what Sydney had told her. Tammy wanted every detail and wouldn't be satisfied until she had them. She felt that Heather owed her a sit down and she wasn't going to be denied. She already knew she couldn't trust Sydney to tell her the truth. Now, when Heather didn't show up, Tammy was even angrier. According to Brianna, Heather's roommate and coworker, in an interview she gave to Crime Watch Daily, she said that Sydney called Heather after Tammy found out about the affair. And in that phone, Sydney told Heather, you were nothing to me. You were just someone who spread your legs. You never meant anything to me and you never will. Brianna said that Heather was devastated by that phone call and cried for days. She had fallen head over heels in love with Sydney, and she thought those feelings were mutual. She was shattered by his cruelty and fell into a deep depression as a result. By all accounts, Tammy was dominant in her marriage, and according to witnesses that knew them, she also wore the pants in the Moore family. So when Sydney told Heather she was just a hole to use, she was devastated and heartbroken. But the breakup was the least of her problems. A broken heart is part of life's journey. What's not part of life's journey is being harassed, followed, and stalked by your married ex-boyfriend's unhinged wife. No one is prepared for that journey. Tammy was a few inches taller than her husband, and while she was five years older than Sydney, she could easily have passed for a decade older. Ironically, Sydney had a baby face and could easily pass for a decade younger. So their friends would later testify that they often thought the two were an odd couple and felt that they were mismatched in both temperament and physical appearance. But despite these differences, they were very much on the same page when it came to Heather Elvis. They both decided she was the villain and the responsible party for the affair. Investigators would later learn that when Tammy was younger, she was obsessed with long-haired rock stars who performed at the Hard Rock Cafe where she waitressed. It was also where she would meet 20-year-old Sydney Moore, who also had long hair at the time and was working as the nighttime maintenance man. Tammy was instantly attracted to his rock star-like looks, and the two became an instant couple spending all of their free time together. Despite their differences, the two also had a lot in common, which extended to their shared obsession with all things Disney. In fact, they even had a Disney-themed wedding. 
Eventually, they had three children together who were homeschooled by Tammy. Tammy liked the flexibility of homeschooling, so the family could travel to Disney several times per year in their Disney-themed camper. Tammy also had a side business where she planned the travel and accommodations for family vacations to Disney for others. By this time, Sidney was self-employed with his own maintenance company where he worked repairing kitchen equipment in many of the local bars and restaurants. The couple had been married for 15 years when Sidney first met young Heather Elvis. And while it wasn't his first affair, Tammy was determined to make it his last one. The first thing Tammy did after discovering the affair was call the manager of the Tilted Kilt and demand that Heather be fired or she wouldn't allow Sydney to continue working there. The second thing she did was take control of Sydney's phone. She even changed the password on it, only allowing Sydney to use it if a client called and only then under her direct supervision. And the third thing that she did was to make sure that Sydney got a well-placed, far-from-subtle tattoo of her name on his body. Sort of like a brand for a cattle, but much larger. The tattoo was located across Sydney's stomach, prominently displayed in large bubble writing right above his belt line. There would be no mistaking Sydney as available ever again. At the very least, it would prompt a conversation that was meant to remind Sydney he was unavailable. The next thing Tammy set out to do was make sure Sydney edited things with Heather in the messiest possible way. After Sydney insulted Heather in the most degrading of ways, he told her his love for his wife and he never wanted to hear from her again. But Tammy did want to hear from Heather and was enraged that Heather wouldn't speak to her. She would text Heather constantly and even sent her videos of Tammy and Sydney having sex. In one of the videos sent to Heather, it depicted a smiling Sydney looking up at the camera while performing oral sex on his wife. Tammy may have been the oldest person in the love triangle, but she certainly wasn't the most mature. Her actions were petty and childish, and her anger was growing by the day. Tammy wasn't prepared to move on until she had her showdown with Heather. She continued making threatening phone calls and sending insane texts to Heather without any answer. However, on November 2nd, 2012, Heather texted Cindy's phone, and there was a reason for this, which we will discuss later. Her text simply said, Sydney, with a question mark. The response said, yeah, what's up? Who the fuck is this? Why would you fucking text at 12.30 and not respond? When Heather didn't respond, there was another message from Cindy's phone that said, someone's about to get their ass beat down. You bitch is about to take a last breath. Heather finally responded with, what in the world? Sorry, my phone was fucking up all night. Wouldn't let me answer calls. And then it just froze. But you've got some explaining to do. Sydney's phone responded, why is that? Who is this? I frown upon people who hang up on me. Not cool. You can tell me who you are right now or I can find out another way. That way won't have a good turnout for you. Heather responded, nobody you need to worry about anymore. Now, Tammy responded with Sydney's phone, saying, You want to call me right now to explain yourself? It would be the wisest thing to do. I've been having Sydney followed since January 2012. It's best you call back and speak immediately. Save yourself. 
I'll give you one last chance to answer me before we meet in person. Only one. Hey, sweetie, you ready to meet the missus? The kids want to meet you. Heather responded back, so when does Sydney get his phone back? These text messages had originally been deleted off Sydney's phone and were recovered during a forensic examination. So what we're about to read are text messages between Sydney and Heather's phone. Ricky will be Sydney and I'll be Heather. This is him, but we can't talk anymore. Can you just call me for a minute? No, I love my family. Ha, okay. Sorry, I made a mistake. You knew what you were doing. It was no mistake. I understand this can't go on anymore. I just want to know that your wife isn't going to show up at my job because I lost hours today because they sent me home after she kept calling. She doesn't care about you. She has a boyfriend. She was just mad at me for lying. Wants me to take some tests to make sure that I didn't catch anything from you. Then why does this have to end if she's got a boyfriend? Stop being such a pushover and letting her control you. I can't do it anymore. It's not right. Yeah, okay. You can call if you want. DJ, you are silly. Who's DJ? You are DJ. Have you been drinking? LOL, did you want to talk? You can call me. Ha, ha, ha. Is that what he told you my name was? I guess you're right. He is a liar. Heather, you wanted to speak to me earlier. You can call now. What did you want to talk about? I think you're obsessed with me. Nah, it was a bore. If you want to speak to me, call me now. Otherwise, leave me alone forever. My daughter is getting this phone and number. Really? So that's why you're still childishly texting me from your cheating husband's phone? Call the number. It's me. You call. Nah. Sydney? Your skank ass needs to leave me alone. Stop talking to me, you crazy fucking whore. In the book Missing and Presumed Dead by Michael Fleeman, the author surmises that most of those texts were coming from Tammy. However, it's likely that some of them were from Sydney under Tammy's supervision. This text exchange only made Tammy more determined to have a face-to-face confrontation with Heather. In fact, one day, Heather came to work with a black eye and said that it was from a clumsy accident. But she was extremely upset that day, and many of her co-workers believed that black eye came from Tammy. Nine days later, on November 11th, forensic investigators recovered another previously deleted text exchange. This time, it was between Tammy and her sister, Ashley. In that exchange, Ashley said she went to the Tilted Kilt looking for Heather. Tammy asked her sister to take a photo of Heather while she was at work. And when Ashley told Tammy that Heather wasn't working, Tammy replied, I think the bitch is in hiding. On the next day on Heather's Twitter page, she tweeted, Once upon a time, an angel and a devil fell in love. It did not end well. As the days passed, Tammy's obsession over Heather was only getting stronger. When she found out that Heather and Sydney had been having sex in his three-year-old work truck, she immediately made him sell it. On November 9th, 2013, Tammy posted a photo of a brand new 2014 black F-150 King Cab Limited Edition. She posted the truck to her Facebook page saying it was her new baby and that she was in love. When friends and family asked why they got rid of the other perfectly good work truck, she said it was time for an upgrade. Tammy regularly documented her life via Facebook and made an announcement that the family was planning on taking the new truck on a cross-country vacation to Disneyland located in California. 
This was the first time they had been to this park, and Tammy made it clear from her post that she wasn't impressed. She liked the park located in Florida much more. Tammy told some of her friends and family that the real reason for this vacation was to work on their marriage, and she and Sydney were desperately hoping to conceive a baby along the way. In addition to rekindling their marriage, the two were also working on a plan to fix their new problem. Remember when we said that Heather had only reached out to Sydney because she had something to tell him? Well, it turns out there was a rumor at the Tilted Kilt that Heather was pregnant with Sydney's baby. In fact, Heather had to order a new uniform because in just a matter of a few weeks, her bra size had gone up three sizes and her skirt no longer fit her around the middle. Investigators knew that Tammy was aware of Heather's pregnancy rumors and believed it was the energy behind Heather's eventual disappearance. In fact, before they left on vacation to California, Jessica Cook, Heather's manager, told investigators that she got several irate phone calls from Tammy. In these calls, Tammy again demanded that Jessica fire Heather. This time, it was because Tammy believed that Heather was allegedly spreading false rumors that she was going to have Sydney's baby. Investigators believed that this was the real reason why 42-year-old Tammy suddenly wanted another baby with her husband. Their youngest at the time was just eight years old. And that is where we are going to end this week's episode for today. I know you guys are so eager to learn the rest of this case, but just hang in there. We'll be with you next week and get ready for some very unexpected twists and turns. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect.